Hi, and welcome back to day three of Global Supply Chain Week here at FreightWaves. I'm Travis Ryan, Chief Product Officer at FreightWaves. And with us today, I have our distinguished guest, Mr. Bart DeMunk, respected analyst at Gardner. Bart, how's it going? Travis, doing very well, and thanks for having me on the show. It's great to have you back. I think last time we talked about some similar topics that we'll be talking today, a little bit more of a freeform conversation, uh, a little bit more open. Today, we're really going to focus in uh, the consumer packaged goods space and really how freight tech is impacting um, the industry as a whole. I think we've got a lot of things that we can talk about today. But how are you seeing, if you look at things at a macro level, what what trends, what themes, or um, lack of trends, maybe things that need to have that need to be happening that are not? Kind of give us a synopsis of what you and what Gartner are seeing in the space today. Yeah, we see a lot of things that are top of minds of people in supply chain, right? Especially chief supply chain officers. And it's topics like sustainability and talent, but really the, the big area is supply chain, digitalization, and transformation. And maybe people are saying, well, Bart, digital transformation isn't that new. And to a point, they're right. We've seen some of that in the last 15 years. But I would say what we've seen really in the last 15 years and what's different today is that it used to be these smaller step-by-step changes. What we've really seen in the last two years with all of those disruptions that have come in at us at a much faster speed and continuous interruptions and disruptions is that people now really have to transform. And uh, at Gartner, we actually say we have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to really transform, making really big change. And we're really seeing that from a digital perspective. So technology is playing a huge role in how companies are changing their models to more digital business models and using tech to enable that. And obviously, freight is right at the core of that. And so we're seeing a lot of things going on in freight tech. So, you know, if you look at the the industry as a whole, one of the main themes that we've seen is labor shortages. And that's just not across the CPG space, but, you know, pretty much anywhere you go, you're going to see help wanted sign today. Um, Are there ways that um, shippers and the the folks specifically focusing consumer packaged goods can use freight tech, um, freight technology to reduce or offset the labor shortages? It's a lot of People think they may not be going away anytime soon. Um, you know, we've certainly seen seen it last a little bit longer than we thought it would. Um, how, how and you know, is it possible? And if so, how can our viewers that are watching today leverage freight tech to help offset some of the labor challenges they're having, both in the short and long term? Yeah, absolutely. As we've already seen the last twenty years, we've seen a lot of automation happening in the area of manufacturing. Well, we're starting to see that more and more, also in logistics and in freight. So it starts in the warehouse where more and more companies are seeing warehouse labor shortages. And so they're replacing labor with robots. And that can be all kinds of robots for picking robots, for moving things, for selecting, for sorting. We see that all around. We're starting to see it as well on the transportation side. Um, And we might not see quite in the same uh, amounts because obviously in transportation, We're not limited to inside of a building or inside of a facility, but we're on the open road. So we obviously have to face a lot more of the regulations, but you're hearing and seeing a lot more where we're doing pilots with things like autonomous trucks and autonomous uh, urban delivery robots with drones, with last mile delivery vehicles. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was at the uh, Manifest conference and actually rode in an autonomous truck. And it's incredible how far this technology has gotten to. And when you talk to all those different companies, the the manufacturers of the autonomous truck technology, 
They're expecting that by 2024, we would have regulations in place to be fully autonomous. Now, in the meantime, even if we are not fully autonomous yet, we're going to be using that technology to help our truck drivers to have a much more comfortable ride, um, to be safer, to be less stressed out. Uh, you hear a lot in trucking term white knuckling, when people are cutting you off or when people are merging with regular cars. A lot of that stuff is being taken away by the autonomous trucks, and it really makes the truck driver's life a lot better. And with the shortage in truck drivers, not only do we need to look at how do we get more capacity in there and how do we use the capacity um, much more efficiently, but then the question also comes, how do we make the transportation industry as a whole safer and also more attractive for young people to come back into the transportation industry? Now, your autonomous truck ride, that's interesting. It's a firsthand um, you know, experience, the use of freight tech. Was it was it f- simply for for show and tell? Did you get to see some of the capabilities of the technology inside the cab? Can you tell us a little bit more about that actual experience? Yeah, I actually got to see the um, all the capabilities firsthand. We went through all the different scenarios. So in this particular case, it was in Vegas. Um, so you're only allowed to use that technology once you're on the highway and everything's safe. So the the technology has kind of safe uh, guards built in that says, hey, you're only ready now to go from regular driving into assisted or autonomous driving. Obviously, there was still a driver uh, on board. And what was great, this was a a very experienced driver. This was a 2 million miler, meaning he had driven 2 million miles, accident-free, so very seasoned guy. And so he told me that he feels the difference in riding this vehicle where Maybe it's not fully autonomous yet because the regulations don't allow us to, but he can basically kind of be a lot more relaxed while driving. And if you're driving 11 plus hours a day, it makes a huge difference. And so, like I said, we did a lot of different maneuvers in kind of really showing what technology has, how it reacts to people that are merging, how it reacts to, um, you know, maybe having six lanes of different vehicles, how he looks at all those vehicles. Uh, we even tried kind of right in the middle uh, of the highway to kind of pass onto kind of the emergency lane, which obviously wouldn't let us, or trying to uh, change lanes when there was other traffic in it, and it wouldn't let us either. So I think we've made really good progress on the technology side. Now, obviously, we have to make sure we advance the regulations. And as you guys know, it's it's not on the federal level, it's state by state. So especially where we see a lot of advantages of autonomous trucks in that long haul over the road transportation, which means you're going to cross multiple states. And that means all these states need to come on board and have those uh, regulations. But also, we need to advance the technology so it also becomes more affordable. It becomes within the grasp of everyone. And in some cases, kind of maybe look a little bit at at making these supercomputers a little smaller because a couple of the examples I saw, it was like you had a, a huge fridge in the back of the truck that had all the computers that were processing all the data. So w- one more question on this topic. I think it's relevant to everyone. You, you've seen a lot of implementations of new tech, right? Visibility, mm-hmm. for example, you saw be born, be implemented, kind of be scaled, be adopted. When you think about the technology impact of driverless trucks, there's one thing. You talked about regulations. You know, if, if we want to improve safety, we reduce, you know, hours of service or change that dynamic. How do you think that first implementation will happen? When we start to see trucks on the road, 
Will it be to maybe increase hours of service? Will it be to reduce safety? Because it sounds like it might cost more to even implement it before it starts to reduce. How do you see that, that in, the real life implementation working of autonomous vehicles over, over the next five years? Yeah, if you see even now, right, with some of these companies like a, a Plus.ai or Too Simple, what they're implementing, they're immediately seeing direct benefits in reduction of fuel consumption all the way up to 25%. I was really amazed by some of the numbers they were showing, uh, but also safety. And as a lot of companies know in the trucking industry, the biggest increase we've seen the last 20 years in cost of trucking has actually been in percentage-wise increase has been in insurance. So if you can have safer fleets, not only will you have happier drivers, but you can reduce dramatically your insurance costs, right? We've seen examples of of companies reducing their insurance from $15,000 a year up to seven dollars to $8,000 per year. So imagine you being a trucking company with 50 vehicles and you're able to reduce that by $7,000 per vehicle per year. That's an extra $350,000. So the ROI starts playing out fairly quickly. But what we really see in the longer term, when we're really going to have these autonomous driving vehicle, and again, I want to make sure people understand that autonomous vehicles aren't necessarily the same as driverless vehicle, because you have to compare them to like an airplane. Most of us have probably been on an airplane. When you go on an airplane, you don't think you're on an autonomous vehicle, but you really are, because that pilot's only in charge of that plane for about seven to eight minutes. And the only reason they're doing that is because of FAA regulations. That plane can perfectly take off itself. It can land itself. It can fly on autopilot. But we really have the driver there to to make sure that we follow regulations. We even have airline attendants there really not to serve you your food and your drinks, but to make sure that if something goes wrong, we have them to to guide us um, in case of an emergency. And that's how you have to look at these uh, vehicles as well. But the biggest long-term impact is if you imagine having all these trucks driving long-haul, state-to-state, even cross-country, imagine uh, Long Beach, California, all the way to Jacksonville, Florida, with with a driver that's five to six days. With an autonomous truck, that would be two days. Imagine the impact that has on supply chains and the networks that you have to put and your inventory locations if you can reduce your transit time buy that much. And that's really going to have a huge impact on these big companies because it, it, it's going to have massive reduction in the cost of real estate, as well as massive cost of reduction in inventory levels. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about, you know, where, where you are may become a lot less important once that happens. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. important, but at least cost to service your customer and time to service your customer does change drastically. Um, I think that's a, that's a, you know, talking about kind of point to point warehouse to warehouse, right? Or DC to DC talking about what's happening on the road. You mentioned robots earlier and I read up recently about DHL making a large investment. I think they've been focused on robotics for years now and they're starting to make a very large investment. Let's talk about what's happening maybe inside the distribution facility, inside the warehouse. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I've ran pick pack operations myself and I, you know, I've seen the whole replenishment process, loading, unloading trucks. It seems like there's a lot of places where robotics could play um, an immediate role in, in, in reducing labor needs. Where do you think, or where do you see them happening first? And how do you see that rolling across again, specifically, you know, specifically in, in super packaged goods um, where, you know, the, the packaging you know, demands are, are somewhat maybe unique or at least understood across different sectors. How do you see that also being used currently? Like what's the most, the best use case today? And how do you see that getting rolled out? Just like your autonomous truck example over the next five mm-hmm. years. 
Yeah, it's, it's mainly inside of the, the warehouse where we see the movements, right? And if you look at it from a pallet perspective, we've been doing that for a long time. When I was at PepsiCo, we had AGVs in the warehouse that would move pallets around. And they were obviously not fully autonomous. They were guided. There were strips on the floor. Um, now you see these robots, especially in like uh, picking for last mile deliveries, where it's much smaller packages that they they move around, um, where you're seeing that increase. Why? Because it's it's so beneficial and so productive to take that away. And then, especially if you have labor shortages, that really helps speed up the kind of time to uh, to deliver and time to the doctor to then go and deliver that kind of within hours to, to the customer. Where what you mentioned before, kind of at the loading dock, that's where we don't quite see the same level of automation yet, right? We're not yet at the stage where we're using robots to just um, do automated unloading of a vehicle or automated loading of a vehicle. That's where we still have uh, a lot of opportunity. Although we use a lot of technology there as well, where we use cameras and the use of artificial intelligence to understand when we're loading, how full a vehicle is, and maybe put a warning on if that particular trailer isn't full enough and say, hey, we can increase the loading percentage of that vehicle or even understand have we loaded it efficiently and have we loaded it safely? Meaning, are there certain things stacked the wrong way that are going to fall over during transportation and cause damage? So it's not necessarily uh, a lot of automation necessarily at that doctor for loading or unloading. But what we are doing is, is putting in more intelligence to make it safer, to make it uh, more efficient uh, and help drive down cost and, and increase safety as well. What else inside the big box have you seen? We talked about robotics. I mean, you know, kind of WMS was one of the early days. Um, what, what do you see else that, that's beneficial or that's helping reduce labor um, besides what we talked about already? Yeah, so um, besides the labor itself, right, and the automation that's going on inside of the warehouses, I think what we're seeing in the box as well or in the pallet, whatever it is, um, there's a lot more focus on, on tracking of the product itself. Um, and as that technology has come down dramatically the last 10 years as well, where now you can have these fairly small tracking devices that have 5G, that have all these additional sensors in it, we're starting to see that happening more and more as well. And we see that with, you know, vendors like Tive or Rombi, whether you talk about, you know, life sciences, pharmaceutical products, or you see it in, in food products, which is very important for CPG companies. If you're shipping food, it's not just important that it gets there on time, but also that the condition during transportation is actually adequate. And so you want to make sure that you can, uh, for example, measure the temperature very accurately inside of that trailer, not just maybe based on the trailer tracking uh, device, but you want to actually do it on the pallet itself, or in some cases on the individual product. And like I said, as these prices have come down and the technology has improved, we're starting to see a lot more use of these tracking devices uh, in a lot of different scenarios, and especially those like in certain cases of CPG manufacturers, where you see very regulated uh, industries like food, uh, where there's a lot of need for serialization and traceability. Okay. All right. So we've talked about trucks, talked about warehouses. Let's talk about the consumer. Let's talk about me and you. Um, I know that there were all these, you know, horror stories about there's not going to be a Christmas last year. And, you know, we, we we made that through that. There was at least some form of Christmas. We got through, you know, a pretty large retail consumer season. Uh, personally, I'm seeing I'm seeing less product both online through e-commerce and availability in stores than I'm used to seeing. 
Um, in fact, I would say some of the shortages are are much more poignant now than they were, you know, late late during last year. And I've been to some of these stores, and they say, "Hey, did you not know that there's a such and such shortage, a such and such shortage?" Do you think that? And we obviously know that the ports are, are are backed up. Do you think that the consumers will be able to start having more access to products anytime in the near future? Is this a shortage that we're going to continue to see play out? Um, because I think in some areas it's gotten worse and in other areas, I don't, you know, I'm, I live in Columbus, Ohio. It's a major distribution network for a lot of the companies considering it's, you know, it's a one day transit from most of the U S from 50% of the U S here in Columbus. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there's a lot of confidence in things being in stock and a lot of people have moved online because you can't find things in stores. How long do you see this trend happening? And is there, are there things being done proactively? It's, if it's not too late to be reactive at this point, obviously there's a lot of reactive behavior and preventing this situation from happening again. Yeah, it, you kind of have to divide it in kind of two scenarios. I think there's a lot of companies that started even before uh, the COVID pandemic that already started because of trade wars, et cetera, started looking at insourcing products kind of more locally or in-country rather than having everything shipped from abroad. Those companies are now in a much better situation to make sure that the products are actually in inventory and they can restock their DCs and then from the DCs to the stores. Where we're still seeing the issues is from the companies that source it kind of from Asia, from China and other places where you have bottlenecks there because they have inventory issues. Then you have the issues at the ports. Then you have the issues with the container ships that are delivering it. Then we have the issues at the ports here where you have congestion. And then obviously we still have the issues kind of domestically, either with capacity on the truck side, but then you also have the same issues around capacity, service level, and cost on the last mile delivery side. Mm. So the longer that supply chain is, the more you're going to see disruption. Uh, And that's not even talking about all the different uh, weather patterns we've seen, right? Whether it was last summer with incredible rains, look at New York. The weather they had kind of early September, late August, Um, just recently, last week here in Texas, uh, Thursday, Friday, we got snow on Thursday. We went to as low as 11 degrees in the Dallas area. It completely shuts down the entire cities. There's hardly any vehicles on the road. I didn't see UPS and FedEx truck in over two days. So put all of that together, we're going to continue seeing these disruptions. And I don't really see anything improving for the next two years. But companies are looking at how do we remodel the network? How do we start putting in maybe sourcing certain products from different locations? But meantime, right, that's the one advice I would tell people is like, yes, you're going to have lack of inventory or you're not going to have the truck show up because there's no capacity or the truck somewhere gets stuck and it's going to be late. Well, that can happen. But what you need to give the consumer is transparency. And that's where freight tech again comes in with things like visibility solutions is to say, well, if we can't serve you right, at least we can give you upfront visibility to what's going to happen. Because nowadays, you know, I will always say that delivery has become equal to the customer experience. Having the right product and selling at the right price isn't good enough anymore. Right. You need to be able to deliver it on time in full with no damages, and that creates transparency. And again, for that, you need freight tech to make that more efficient and more transparent. Okay, last question, a bit of a curveball. Maybe you can or can't answer it. So I think Gardner, one of the things they're most famous for, the magic quadrants, right? We saw visibility come out 
Um, probably your first, it was your first new quadrant in how many years? Uh, the first logistics, new yeah. logistics magic one in 20 years. So we've always had TMS and WMS. Right. This is the first new one we've had in 20 years. So I think people were very excited, um, you know, maybe depending on their placement on the chart, maybe not so much, maybe so. Do you see any other quadrants? I don't know if you can talk about these things or not. Or do you see another area when we talk about freight tech? There's so much investment. There's so much money moving into it. It's more than WMS, TMS, and visibility, yeah. right? It's much more than that. Does Gartner look at or have you guys identified some areas that might be worthy of, of something that's similar to that in the, in the near future? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we, we always look at that, right? And in my area with my team, we look at all the different areas of transportation technology. We look at them and based on where they are in the market, we either have a regular research paper or we create for a newer market. We typically start with what we call a market guide and a market guide then as it evolves and a market get bigger and we start seeing leaders appear uh, between the vendors, then we create a magic quadrant. So there's a process to it. It's it's a process to to demand is there there it isn't just like oh let's let's go and just create a magic quadrant. We have a process just like companies have pro, uh, processes in in creating products or technologies. Um, but I will say a couple of years ago, I would have thought digital freight was one of those because mm-hmm. there was massive amounts of of funding going into digital freight. Uh, there was a lot of interest. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen it grow quite as fast, right? And although digital freight is definitely here to stay and it's become kind of a mainstream of what shippers are looking for to, to get additional capacity, it's still very small percentages of a shipper's volume that is going to digital freight. In the meantime, though, we have a newer category of vendors that have come in the last few years, which is what we call these last mile fulfillment or last mile orchestration solutions. Those, again, have been an area, probably the biggest area the last two years of investment of private equity uh, and venture capital. And that's also where we're starting to see vendors growing very quickly. We already have a market guide there. And I would say that, if you ask me, would be probably one of those areas of opportunity that could become uh, a magic one because the vendors are getting bigger. We're starting to see the beginnings of some of the leaders form. But we're also seeing them getting broader and broader in their solutions. So the market itself is getting bigger as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bart. Pleasure as always. Always great to have you here at Freightways. Um, we also thank you guys, our viewers, for watching day three, Consumer Packaged Goods here at Freightways Global Supply Chain Week. We're going to take a little break and then come, make sure you guys come back for more content. Again, thanks to Bart DeMonk, our favorite analyst at Gartner. Um, and thanks to you guys, our viewers listening in. Um, have a great rest of your day. Thank you.